Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. Before we begin today's episode, I must tell you that registration for NABIP's 2024 Capital Conference is now officially open. Join your peers from across the country in this unique and inspiring event. Capital Conference promises to be especially impactful in 2024 as you have the chance to influence policy and make your mark in a pivotal presidential election year. In addition, stay tuned and we will soon reveal our highly anticipated keynote speaker, a distinguished and familiar figure in the world of political analysis. So don't wait. Go to NABIP.org and register now. Did you know that November is Long-Term Care Insurance Awareness Month? LTCI is an important topic and grows more important with every day, with as many as 10,000 people turning 65 every day. Many NABIP members work in LTC and provide products and advice with regards to family LTC planning, among other issues, including two of our guest hosts today. LTC Advisory Group members Lori Martin and Steve Kane are joined by a very special guest today in Jamala Arland, Senior Vice President of LTC Inforce at Genworth. While the trio talk at great lengths about state LTC programs, like Washington State's and California's recently established task force, the group also covers a variety of topics within LTC that you do not want to miss. So, without further ado, here is Lori Martin. Hello, my name is Lori Martin. I lead the Long-Term Care Working Group at NABIP. I also work in the employer group benefit space as well as providing long-term care planning for both individuals and groups. And I also teach the CLTC Masterclass. So, November is LTCI Awareness Month. And today with our speaker, Jamala Arland, we'll focus on why states are looking at publicly funded long-term care plans, state legislative updates, and what NABIT members can do to promote long-term care insurance planning. Hi, this is uh, Steve Kane. I head up the sales and business development efforts of LTCI Partners. We're a large brokerage general agency working in the individual and group markets. And I'm a, a NABIT working group member, and I'm really happy about this discussion today. I've got someone I consider a, a good friend, and also an industry expert to talk about all the things legislatively that, that are going on out there. And it's important for you to know this stuff. As a NABIT member, as somebody that's working in the employee benefits market, you have to educate your clients about what's going on, what might impact them and their employees in, in the space with respect to legislation. So Jamala Arlen is an actuary, got all these designations behind her name that I don't even know what they mean. But she's a senior vice president of long-term care insurance at Genworth. And I always joke around saying it's not her fault, right? She came in afterwards to clean up the mess. But she's got responsibility for really the largest block of private enforced long-term care insurance, covering more than a million Americans. That's a big number. In the industry, Jamala chairs the American Academy of Actuaries Long-Term Care Reform Subcommittee and serves as the representative uh, from the California long-term care insurance industry on the California Long-Term Care Insurance Task Force. 
but she has been working over the last year and change to explore the feasibility of developing and implementing a culturally competent statewide insurance program for long-term care services and supports. And Jamal was appointed by the Senate Committee on Rules. That means Jamal is in the know. You know, Jamala knows more about this stuff than anybody out there. And we're just really pleased to have her on the discussion today. So thank you, Jamala, for joining us. I'm glad to chat with you, Stephen, Lori. So Lori, uh, before we get going um, with Jamala and talking about California, I want everybody to just picture a map of the United States, right? We don't, we don't have, it, this is a podcast, so you're not seeing us, but picture a map of the United States. Now start coloring up that map with a number of states on the coast that are looking at how do we finance long-term care? How do we help people figure out how to pay for long-term care? And how do we reduce our Medicaid expenditures? Because this stuff's expensive if the state is going to pay for it. Unlike the federal government, each state has to balance their budget each year. So they're looking at projected Medicaid expenditures saying long-term care could bankrupt us. Let's figure out ways to help people plan for long-term care and help reduce those expenditures. So when I look at a map of states that are interested in long-term care planning, it's all of them. You know, when I look at that map and say which states have taken some action, whether it's a task force, a bill that was written or proposed, you know, a study that's being done, you're going to see that map be colored up more and more as time goes on. Lori, tell everybody what happened in Washington. Yeah, so Washington was uh, the first state to enact a publicly funded long-term care plan funded by a payroll tax. And first payroll tax was collected in July of 2023. So anybody who worked in that state and did long-term care planning, I know you, you did, Steve, too. Certainly a lot of issues with all these individuals who are looking to opt out of the payroll tax by purchasing their own individual long-term care insurance plan. And the amount of applications that came in was just astounding, right? So, but a lot of people were able to opt out and the plan is in place. Some things we would love to have changed that might be changed as far as some of the rules. You know, it's it's the first state, but it's certainly not the last. The folks in Washington are certainly well-intentioned. We understand why they did it. We would have liked to see some different components to the program, but we are where we are. And, and that's why it's so important for you as advisors, as brokers, don't get caught flat-footed, you know, if another state decides to do something, because many of you were able to help your clients secure private long-term care insurance and enable them to exclude themselves or opt out of this tax that, you know, really is is for the lifetime of, uh, while somebody's working. So, you know, the bottom line is that's why we're having this conversation. We want to educate you on potential programs. And Jamala, I guess I want to ask you, do you have any other thoughts on why state, why are states doing this? Why are they looking at this stuff? Steve, like you said, all the states are interested. When you look at a map of the United States, all the states are interested in some way. And if we take a step back at, you know, what is happening within our population from a demographic perspective? You know, you and the other agents, you know this stuff well because you're having these conversations with employers as you're, you know, leaning into the, the employee benefits market. Every day until 2030, we expect to see about 10,000 baby boomers turn 65. It's a really big deal from a public policy perspective. Of those boomers, we expect that seven in 10 of them will require some level of long-term care services and supports, you know, in their lifetime. That defines a very clear societal need. Yet mm -hmm. most Americans don't have any type of insurance of their own. 
And most people don't have a plan. The information's disjointed when you're looking at a state level and knowing where to start. It's already overwhelming in a time that is very emotional for people as they're dealing with, you know, loved ones and families. Like we know this, everyone has a personal story and have also heard personal stories from friends and, and loved ones. So what you have is a clear societal need, a landscape that's disjointed and complex, an issue that's very emotional. And it is inevitable that at a state level, our representatives are going to be hearing this from their constituents. And as you have a bigger and bigger population, either reaching you know, older ages or their families who are taking care of them, be becoming more and more aware of the issues, it, it's a broader and broader issue that's going to have to come up and, and, and will continue to come up you know, at that public policy level. You know, so you have that level of conversation. We're seeing more states come out with master plans on aging. There are about six or so states that are either in the process of adopting a master plan on aging or have one in the legislature being proposed and being commented on. Then you see at the NAIC level, so at the insurance commissioner level, going across all 50 states, long-term care being in their top five priorities of, of, of issues to address. So we're, we're seeing it on the ground, you know, in our families, in our communities, and we're seeing our, our governments respond. And that's a really good thing. Yeah. And, and so I, I just want to know personally, why did you get involved? It's a lot of work. You've got a full-time job, a million policyholders you're managing. Why? Yeah. I'll say that, and, and I know that you feel this too from conversations we've had, Steve, professionally and personally, the long-term care insurance business, the long-term care supports and services space is one that draws people in from a place of passion. Whether you start from that point of view or not, you become very passionate about what we're doing. And, you know, we often think about, well, I just work in insurance. I'm not doing brain surgery. I'm not saving lives. This work makes a difference to people's quality of life. And that is impactful and important. So, you know, there's that purpose-driven aspect. And I'm a millennial. So that, that's kind of part of my DNA to yeah. find purpose in, <laughs> in my job, even as an insurance professional. So there's a lot of purpose in the work that we do. So so that's kind of the personal side. And, you know, we all have stories. and like we talked about before we started recording, you know, you, you tell your story and then you hear somebody else and they have a, a more significant story. There's this kind of game of one-upmanship um, when it comes to the, the horror experiences that people have had in terms of navigating this space and making a difference in it. We have the opportunity from where I sit in the private sector, our listeners who are, you know, supporting people at the grassroots level um, with support, you know, in this space, there's just that call to action that's really important because of the work that we're doing. So I, I really felt that call to action in this yeah. space. I also see, you know, California is the largest insurance market in the U.S., third largest insurance market in the world. To be able to do this in California will transform what public-private partnership looks like in terms of solutions for, for aging. And that is really important with where we are because as a private sector, we are not getting the penetration on our own even at the point where long-term care sales were peaking. We really need to look for new solutions and that partnership between the public and private sector, I believe is critical for, for the next phase of awareness and also broader access to solutions for long-term care. Yeah, one thing that Lori and I talk about with our involvement with NABIP is that what we've learned over the last few years with all these legislative discussions is that you either have a seat at the table or you're on the menu. Jamal, from your perspective, do you feel like we have a seat at the table as an industry in these California conversations? 
I think we do. That was an important aspect of the charter that was developed by the AB 567 bill that was adopted, that the, that the private sector have a seat at the table and be part of the conversation. And that was one of the lessons learned in Washington, like Lori spoke to, that it's important to bring in as many constituents as possible into the conversation. So uh, I do feel we have that, that seat at the table and it's an important California has brought that voice in. So, so where are we at? You know, to, to you, you've met what twenty some odd times. Where are we at today? We we've been meeting for about two years now. The task force in California and those forums are public, which I think is another aspect that's important. That there's that transparency in terms of the conversations that that are happening and and what's going on. It is an active task force. So when it comes to you know my opinions about where things are going, I'm going to be a little bit tight lipped on on that right now, Steve. But maybe we can do yeah. another episode later. And but. The work that that we're doing is is so important, and it started from a really sound process of being organized in work streams. So looking at what are some structural options for benefits that would make sense and fill the needs in California, solutions for financing, how would the program be administered, the, the, the big issue of workforce and the lack of care workers was something that we also talked about additional supports and services beyond insurance type benefits. And really, really importantly is how a a public program would coordinate with private solutions and also other public options that are already available. So that was really important. And of course, access. How do you make sure that the program is accessible to as many Californians as possible in a way that's culturally competent? So in a way that they want to engage or can engage with the program. So meeting people where they are. The first year of the of the work that the task force did was related to feasibility. So addressing those different components of, of the work streams and, and is this program feasible? What are the risks? What are the what are the challenge areas for establishing a public program? And coming out of that, we developed five different program designs that span a wide range. At one end of the range is a program design that's focused on supplemental benefits. So think things like adult daycare meal delivery, transportation, uh, minor home improvements. So those types of things that are really fundamental and, and supportive of somebody staying in their home and community safely, all the way up to a benefit design that would offer, say, two years of insurance coverage at a really high level that would go all the way up to assisted living facilities and nursing homes, and very comprehensive in terms of portability outside California, and broad reaching as it relates to ages and also different income levels. So that's the range. The second year was focused on actuarial analysis. So what does this cost? When you think about all this range of benefits, what does it cost and what are the sensitivities around that cost? And the actuarial report was released in in early October uh, 2023. And that report outlined a range of costs for these five different designs, ranging from half a percent increase in tax up to about two and a half percent increase in tax. So a very wide range. And really, when you look at the the macro landscape, you know, across the country, economically and specifically in California, not an insignificant level at either end of the benefit range. So if we think, take this full circle back to feasibility, now that you have pricing related to that analysis, I think really the next step is kind of revisiting the whole conversation of feasibility and what happens next as it relates to implementation. I think it's really important that the work that we have done turns into action. It may not necessarily be one of these five designs, 
but taking an action and laying out recommendations in a way that are accessible to the legislature such that you know they can talk to their constituents and really make progress on on getting to a solution I, I recently attended a meeting in California and, and did have discussions with state senators, assembly members, and their staff. And to a person, they understood the issue of long-term care. You know, they came up to me and shared their story, their family story about long-term care. And you're right, Jamal, one was worse than the next in, in terms of the, the difficulty emotionally, financially with the family, but they they wanted to further explore this. So I really hope you're right. All this work that you've done over the last couple of years I hope continues beyond the the release of the pricing report uh, so that we can get something done. I think the the insurance industry is looking for uh, a way to partner with the state and a way to help more consumers. So Lori, I want to go to you. What do you think agents and brokers can do today to help our cause? Yeah, and I think this has already been mentioned. You know, you need to talk to your groups, you know, your individual clients and certainly your group clients. Um, I always say, you know what, if you're not talking about this, somebody else is. This is such a major issue in the workforce, the caregiver crisis. So one in five working Americans is a caregiver. And that affects their work, that affects their productivity, absenteeism, et cetera, stress levels, certainly that. And what employers have been doing in a market that's really expanding is resources, caregiving resources, and providing that to their employees to help with that caregiving crisis, to help take care of the family members. But coming back to the group side is bringing these plans, these long-term care insurance plans, as another very valuable benefit to your employees, whether they're ER paid, whether they're voluntary, and being able to start that discussion about here's a way that you can help your employees. You know, over the last really before Washington, during, after, we're getting questions on a daily basis from brokers out there that are saying, what product do I need to buy in order to exclude myself from the tax? Exactly how is this going to work? What's the opt-out date? You know, And you know, the answer is, it's too early. These are just proposals and discussions, and it's too early to determine. But one thing I've walked away from recently, or I've, I've started to share with, with brokers and clients, is that if you're looking at long-term care insurance purely as a tax avoidance play, then that's probably not the right thing for you. Um, Absolutely. But if you want to help protect your clients or yourself uh, with respect to your retirement income, your lifestyle, your family, start there. We're telling advisors out there, don't lead with tax avoidance. Mm -hmm. Lead with the long-term care planning that we all believe in, and then you can pivot to, oh, by the way, you know, the state of California, I live in California, state of California is really serious about helping Californians plan for long-term care. And they're exploring different options to help people finance this. One of those may be a payroll tax. And, and so, you know, looking at private long-term care insurance might enable you to opt out from any forthcoming payroll tax. So that's a nice to have, but you know, the real reasons behind this are what we shared earlier. And so I, I would just caution advisors out there not to prognosticate, not to forecast what may happen because, you know, politics are messy. You know, these, these, I remember with Washington, uh, Jamal, we changed, the law changed up until the very end, you know, mm -hmm. with the, during the reconciliation process. And so that can happen anywhere. In fact, Jamal, you can come out with this feasibility and pricing report, and then the legislature could do something different. Is that correct? That's completely right, Steve. Everything you said resonates so much. You know, the, the long-term care sale 
should be coming from a place of need versus a place of fear. There's plenty of need to connect with. And I remember at the CLTC conference, Lori, where, where we met, Kathy Sikorsky, she noted, and this, this has stuck with me, she said that those one in five caregivers, those one in five unpaid caregivers, they're not unemployed. They're working. They're right. in the workforce. You know, when you're talking to an employer about, you know, their employee benefits and the suite of benefits, that is their employees and asking them the question, what are you doing for your employees? who are family caregivers to help them and help them support their families. That was, you know, the call to action that, that Kathy made. And that's why this is so important from a public private partnership perspective and for the private long-term care insurance industry. When I talk across the board to, you know, with other companies through our trade associations, there is broad and general support for public private solutions. We see the need, the need is clear. How they go about it is a really important factor. The level of tax, making space for pub, for private solutions is really important as well too. But education is a key, and education is a key mm -hmm. area where insurance agents and brokers can play a huge role right now as these programs are being developed in terms of educating about the risks and need for long-term care supports and services. Really talking about the need for planning for long-term care events, uh, talking about what options are available. And Steve, like you said, they're the private options that are available, but also being educated enough to speed about what's going on in the public space and what that could mean and the implications for that. And, and really having those, those broader, more in-depth conversations about the, the overall planning for, for needs. And right. like you said, Steve, so that you're not tapping into your retirement savings, like you're thinking about this, you're thinking about your needs holistically. That's a really important part of the conversation and what we can be last, doing now. Last question. I'm not going to pin you down on, on what you might think will happen in these, but I'll just ask you, if Jamal Arlen now leads another state's long-term care task force, you're anointed the leader of this task force, what would you do differently? Steve, I think, you know, as more and more states are entering this space, you get to learn from what's happened in the past, right? So a lot of where California leaned in very early in the conversations and education was about what was happening in Washington. Washington was very bold in coming out with this program and making these decisions. And it was really exciting to see a state move forward with this program. Some of the pitfalls are that that happened in, in many cases in a vacuum. Right. So they had to revamp and go back to the drawing board. And I think California started with some of those lessons that Washington learned um, in how we're developing the program. I think one area that there's still gaps for both states is the connection with the with the private sector. So those connections with employee employers in their states, how are they feeling about the program, really getting buy in from employers and support from employers, especially when the conversations are focused around payroll tax. And also, you know, California has that seat at the table that, that I represent for, for the private sector from an insurance perspective, but really going deeper into the conversation about what supplemental and complementary private solutions look like as part of the overall framework. You know, California has that as a follow-up subgroup, but it's really important to be thinking about that holistic landscape of what constituents will be facing into as they're making decisions about opt-outs and opt-ins. Like you said, Steve, that creates a lot of fear. An additional tax can create a lot of fear around people. And having that whole framework of you know what the landscape can look like as people are making decisions takes a lot of that fear 
out of the conversation and really allows it to be focused on holistic needs. And I yes. think that's an opportunity that's not lost yet for California. We still have time to continue the work that we're doing. No, that's a great answer. And, and hopefully some folks in other states are listening to this outside of the state of California. You know, I, I think the, the story here, folks, is start talking to your clients about this stuff. You know, start educating them about long-term care planning. Sometimes a long-term care insurance solution would make sense, and sometimes it doesn't. But we've got to start these conversations. And also, I'll tell you, get involved. Get involved with your local legislators to help educate them about the issues that we're all facing today and the private market solutions that are available. That's only going to help our cause, too. Jamal, thank you so much for your insights, for sharing with us and, and our membership, and uh, we'll talk to you along the way. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NAPIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAPIP.org.